flyers though at the back uh, that Jeff brought this morning. They're a little spooky, um, if I'm being honest. Um, but I want, uh, I want us to have ownership of this. Uh, when it's Brian uh, Headwelch. He used to play in a band called Corn, um, with a K. And Sonny Sandoval, uh, the, the lead singer of a group called P.O.D. Uh, and then a guy named Ryan Reese, who is... I remember the conversation that Ryan and I had years ago. And he was telling me about this dream, this idea to have... Because he's... His dad is the pastor of an extremely large and prominent church in Southern California, and Satan, as always, has a soft spot in his heart for preacher's kids, and Ryan definitely gave his daddy and mama a run for their money, but Jesus rescued him, and Ryan is a compelling young man and has put this thing together called the whosoevers, and it's... Uh, they're, they're reaching a group of folks. It's like if you've got a vacuum cleaner at home, okay, you know that along the edge of your carpet, along the wall, it can get a little dirty. Is anybody going to get a witness? Um, <laughs> and so you need sometimes an attachment that will reach to that that your regular vacuum cleaner can't get to, and that's what the whosoevers have done. And let me tell you this. If you think because we're in Williamson County, that we don't experience this. I have been to the ER too many times uh, this past year uh, to tell you that it's, it's, it's all around us. Uh, the drug culture, uh, it's here. It's all around. So this is an opportunity for you to bring, if you have friends that don't know the Lord, friends that are struggling. Um, I, I talked to Mike Coop. They're bringing all the clients from Place of Hope will be with us next week. Uh, which, by the way, I need somebody to help me with a 15-passenger van because they've got two van loads and only one van, so two weeks. So if, you've, if, that, if, if that resonates with you uh, to help us next uh, two Sundays from now, that would be awesome. So those flyers will be back here. Everybody take a, a handful, a fistful. We've got DVDs that your kids can hand out at school. Uh, just, we just want the word to spread that it's not a church recruitment thing. This is a Jesus recruitment thing, and to... to uh, Allow them to hear a story from people that actually know what they're going through. So that's in, uh, in two weeks. If you would open your Bible to the book of Romans, you might as well go ahead and put a post-it note there. We um, are about to embark on a journey that I think, well, I know it changed my life going through this book. And I'm confident that the word of God is what it says it would be, which is active and powerful and alive. And I think that you should never approach the word as an academic exercise. This is a spiritual encounter. So let's pray that the spirit would lead us this morning. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light for our path and uh, we just invite you to speak to us this morning. The, the rhema word, that, that real active living word uh, for each of us this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever wanted something so bad that it made your heart hurt? That's what my daughter Ashley asked me a few months ago. We were driving 
And she said, Daddy, do you ever want something so bad that your heart hurts? And she wanted a horse. And I, we have, uh, as you probably are aware, your neighborhood might as well, you have little covenants in the subdivision that we can't have a horse. In fact, she said uh, yesterday to me that she'd love it if we could just go back to uh, just horses and carriages and no cars at all. And, and I wished her luck with that and ask her if she would be the one carrying the shovel. You think it's bad following our dog around the neighborhood, is what I told her. <laughs> but she said that because she wanted this so bad. And Paul wanted something that bad. He wanted to go to Rome. We saw it in the book of Acts. He said in Acts 19, I must go to Rome. If, you, if you've looked at a map, the reason I think that Paul wanted to get there, look at a map of Nashville. If, you, if you're from the Midwest, this might have been an especially confusing move for you to come here. Like, we come from a place where there, when you, there was a grid, when there was when, uh, something called planning that happened before you built the city. And, and so what I didn't understand when I first came here was there actually was a plan but the plan revolved around downtown. That's why they said that the little song, remember downtown? And even like in towns like Franklin, you see, if you look at the map, there's like all these roads are all leading to downtown. That's why there was a little uh, phrase that said all roads lead to Rome. It started because in the, this time in history, all roads led to Rome whether it was from China or European or the Baltic, it was all leading to Rome. The trade routes all led there. And Paul strategically knew that if all roads lead to Rome, then all roads must lead from Rome. If I can get to Rome, he said, just as was a dream, then the word of God could spread exponentially. And so he wanted to get there. In fact, in verse 13 of chapter 1, he would say to them, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I tried. I tried over and over again. I wanted to get there, but I was prevented from getting there. I, he wanted to be there. It was in his heart to get there, and he couldn't. And it's a lesson for you. It's a lesson for me, to be sure. That In this case, Paul's frustration was God's orchestration. What Paul found to be frustrating was God orchestrating. How can you say that, Darren? Here's why I believe that. All the other epistles that uh, Paul would write, he had been to the town. He knew the people. And so he would have an idea of what was happening and the, the, uh, the sin that might have been going on or the heresy that might have been happening. And so the letters were tailored to those. And, and I'm glad for that because we know because of 2 Corinthians, that when we're participating in the Lord's Supper, we shouldn't get hammered. And we, we can know that because it's in the Bible. He said, don't get drunk when you're doing the Lord's Supper. Come on. But with Rome, on the other hand, he didn't have any of that. He didn't know any of them. And so in AD 58, he finally sat down, put a pen to paper, and wrote this theological masterpiece inspired by the Holy Spirit that would be life-changing, it would be impacting, it would be literally universal. 
So much so that this book would inspire a guy who was a monk. And, And this monk, you guys got a lot of friends that are monks? No. This monk was doing what oftentimes monks do, which is they're trying to be good, do good, earn their thing. And, and this guy was beating himself. Can you imagine that? Like you mess up and so he takes a whip and just beats his own back, right? And be like, that's what my parents do with my bottom end. I don't want to do that to myself. And he was miserable because he couldn't, just like maybe you figured out by now, he couldn't be good enough. And one day he was sitting in his little monk room, writing with his little monk pen. And it's a little dark and there's a shadow and he's so frustrated and so freaked out that he picks up his inkwell and he throws it against the wall at what he thought was the devil. But it was a shadow. He was a little jumpy. And that night, in that moment, the words, the just shall live by faith, came to his heart and to his mind. And he was able to say, you mean I don't have to be good enough? I mean, if I, if I pray more, that doesn't make me more spiritual. God love me more. That if I read my Bible more, that that doesn't make God, that's not what it's about, being good enough and smart enough and doggone it, people liking you enough. It's not about that, the Stuart Smalley of Christianity. You guys are too young, I'm sorry. It was about faith. And a guy named Martin Luther on that day would start a reformation that would reach to this day. And then there was another guy who'd gone to America to hear to, to um, be a missionary to the Native Americans. And uh, he failed cataclysmically. And so on the boat back to England, he writes that it was stormy and uh, it was awful. And, and he writes at one point, I went to America to save the Indians, but who will save me? And then after arriving back in England, he's walking down the street and he wanders into a church on Addington, I believe. And he hears a a minister preaching on Romans. In fact, he was preaching from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. And that night, John Wesley gave his life to Christ. And the Methodist revival was born. There was a guy that was miserable. He was actually a partier. He was, uh, <laughs> he, he was living a fascinating life. But he was feeling guilty about it, and he felt uh, convicted. And, and it's recorded that he sat under a tree one day, and that some little kids came by singing a little song, talking about, you know, read it back to back. front. And, and it was a little song from that day, and he had a Bible sitting next to him. And he opens up, and the page he turns to is Romans chapter 13. And, and, and it talks about, to make no provision for the flesh to, and, and he goes back and reads Romans back to back and that day a guy named Augustine would give his life to Christ and who would be one of the more quotable guys uh, on Facebook. From, from the book of Romans, there's a guy in the West Coast who was a pastor of a little church, a little four square church and he was like a lot of us, was in the, if I can do this good enough, I can be good enough. He starts preaching Romans, and he begins to realize that uh, the just shall live by faith. And, and, and as this picture is unfolding, he's realizing he had had it all wrong. And so he ends up wandering into a little church of 25 people in Costa Mesa, California. 
that would grow to a church of 20,000, that would grow to a, a ministry that without any striving, without any centralization, has affected the entire world. A guy named Chuck Smith in Calvary Chapel from the book of Romans. All roads might lead to Rome in Paul's day or in our day they might lead to Nashville, but I think that all roads to revival lead through Romans. When we get that, the book of Acts was amazing. It's a storyline and it's what we're a part of, this thing that God is doing in the rest of the world, but it's Romans that we can set ourselves with some excellent information that isn't just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. And I can tell you from my own personal experience that it was going through the book of Romans where all of a sudden a light bulb went off in me. And it was, oh, so if I pray every day, that doesn't mean that I am more spiritual. That actually makes me want to talk to God about that. Like, I'm responding to him. Religion will tell us responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. But that's not what Jesus brought. He brought a relationship which says respond-ability. I don't have to go and witness to my friends. I don't have to because God, that'll make God love me more. That's awesome. I really want to tell somebody about that. I'm responding to that. I don't have to make it through the Bible this year in a year. How many of you have already made it or have already failed, by the way? No, no, you don't have to. Okay. <laughs> I don't have to do that. I really want to know more about this God. And I want to end up reading more because I'm responding to something that's happened inside of me as opposed to a response responsibility, religion thing to make God like me more so that I can get something from him. That's not what he promised us, and that's what Romans makes crystal clear to us. And I hope, I know, that in the same way that it impacted me, I mean, I, it didn't even occur to me to go to Africa but somehow, I mean, Romans didn't tell me to do that. But I just began, the word began to come alive, and I began to understand what it meant, and the grace that God gave me, the book of Romans, revival. And I understand the Azusa revival and the things we pray for revival, yada, yada. I'm talking about a personal revival in your hearts that then carries on long past a couple of months down at the church. A changing from the inside out. That's what Romans can do. It's what it's done over and over and over again. And all because Paul couldn't go to Rome. And that's important for you to understand because oftentimes we get it in our head, I want to do something and I want to do it so bad that my heart hurts. And when I can't, how do I respond to that? What do I do? Now, Oftentimes what we do is absolutely nothing. I I've, was a part of a, a, an industry over the years that was, it seemed built upon the idea of breaking people's hearts. It was called the music industry. And this town, this area is just, there's so many that have come that had this thing they wanted to do. And, and when they couldn't, there was a couple of things that I noticed. There were those that 
we're going to sit around and just wait and do nothing because I'm a drummer, I'm a bass player, I'm a whatever singer, I can't go work at Starbucks. And what Paul did was he couldn't do what he wanted to do, so he did do what he could do, which was he wrote a letter. And so I would ask you this morning, and not just in music, but in ministry, or what, what is it that you have it in your heart to do that you can't do? And instead of getting all caught up on what I can't do, do what you can do that's right in front of you. Because I promise you that as you are doing that, that the Lord will miraculously bring something across your way that'll either A, be what you had on your heart to begin with or something you didn't even think of, and boy, it's a lot better because it's God, and he's smarter than you and me, by the way. Don't get caught up in the, in the trap of I can't do this. And a guy that might resonate with that a little bit with you is a dude named David. David had it in his heart to build a temple for Solomon. It's in First Chronicles 30-something. And he said, it's in my heart. I want to build this temple. How should I live in this thing, this giant house, and the God that I serve lives in a tent? I'm going to build a temple. And it actually says, I have it in my heart to do this. And so he said about it. He went to talk to the prophet. The prophet said, yeah, that's a great idea, Nathan. And then that night, Nathan goes to bed, and God says, uh, excuse me, Nate, uh-uh. That, that's not what you, you got to go back and tell him. He can't do that. He's a man of war. He can't. Uh, build the temple. And so the next day, Nathan's got to go drop the bomb. Imagine that conversation with the king. Hey, uh, I got to call redo on yesterday. So David, who had it in his heart, in fact, Solomon in 1 Kings 8 would say, my father had it in his heart to build this thing, but he couldn't build it because God, it was in David's heart. He wanted to, it was noble, but it wasn't God's will for him. David couldn't do that. And so instead of sitting around, I don't know if you guys, how many of you got little guys or girls in your house? When, when uh, my little man child can't do something that he wants to do, he has a tendency to, and wander into the room and just be mad. Now there's a lot of options in our house. Okay. Lots of things to do. But he gets all caught up in what he can't do and does nothing. And I'm telling you that what we ought to do is, I can't do what I feel like God has called me to do, wants me to do, I have in my heart to do, so I'm not going to do anything. Don't do that. What's right in front of you? And just give it everything you got. And then let the Lord unfold it in you. That's what Paul did. He would get to Rome eventually, but his frustration was God's orchestration. Let those words sit in your heart and in your minds that you might be frustrating, uh, frustrated, but God has orchestrated something that you don't know that will reach long beyond what you can see today. And with that, Paul would write the words, Paul, he's introducing himself, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He writes three things there that he is, and if you're a note taker today, it might be good for you to write the words bond servant or servant. 
give yourself a little bit of room and maybe a paragraph or so space and then write called to be an apostle and then a little bit further down write separated unto the gospel. There are three things that Paul had happening in his life. Three is a number of, of permanence. Do you guys ever, when you're doing a, a coin tip, ever do the best two out of two? No, you do the best two out of three, right? Uh, it, when someone offers to pay the bill at the restaurant and you really want them to, but you're, you know, the, the social contract we have, which says that I have to say, oh no, I can't, no, I can't let you do that. Oh no, I insist. Oh no, no, I can't. What is, it's the third time that the deal is done. Okay, well, if you insist. Paul in, <laughs> would be in this three parts. Your body is a spirit. You, 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 you are spirit, soul, and body. You're in three parts. It's a permanence thing. Our God, we serve one God who is manifest in three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in just this one sentence, we get a grid for us, for you, in your life. That if you can identify what you are. Paul is, said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's what he was. My prayer is, is that is what you are. And that word servant is a word doulos. I don't know if it has anything to do with, is it doula, Edie, is that what you do? Maybe it's that, I don't know. I, I've not really studied the baby thing. Uh, uh, Edie is a, uh, a doula. So this is doulos. And in the language, what it's saying is that if you were in... Uh, in ancient Israel, okay, around Exodus 32, it actually talks about what a bond servant was. That if you were a slave, in six years is all you had to serve. And in the seventh year, the number of completion, you were allowed to go free. But in Exodus 32, it says that if you love your master, if he was good to you, and you didn't want to leave, we, we think of slavery as we well should in a negative connotation. But he would say to them, if you choose to stay, you can. And you would what would be referred to as a bond servant. And then what they would do to mark it would be to put your ear up against a doorpost. And how many of you, who's got the biggest gauge in your ear this morning? Anyone? They, they drive a wooden, little wooden spike through your ear to like an earring. Um to show that you are choosing to stay. And so when Paul would say that I am a bond servant, I'm choosing to be here. Because I, I appreciate the evil and the wickedness of slavery, but the reason that it's evil and it's wicked is because not of the servants, but the masters that are wicked and evil. What if your master happens to be pretty rad? Like, what if he knows everything? What if he sneezes stars? Like, he could make it rain turtles if he wanted to. Like, that kind of a guy? Done. The guy that made you, that knows who you are, and I'm choosing to stay there as a servant. And that's what Paul was, was a servant, because he wanted to go to Rome, but God wouldn't let him go to Rome. And what, you know, sometimes we do is, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to take my toys and go home. He was a servant and was obedient to him. And in that being a bond servant, 
to him was his identity. That's what he was. Uh, we talked about Kyle and Jessica this morning. He's a Marine, okay? Could kill me with his bare hands and probably not even work up a sweat. But that he, that's what he is. But if you're a Marine, whether you are cooking and cleaning, whether you are driving, whether you are running logistics, whether you are fighting on the front lines, you are a Marine. And we start with the basis of knowing what we are because then from there flows everything that we do. Because I'm going to do it in the way that a servant of Jesus Christ would do it. As opposed to, I, look, I appreciate your enthusiasm, Jesus, but I, have you ever thought about this? When I'm a servant, I'm saying, oh, I got it. You got it. You're smarter than me. I got this one. I'm going to just follow you and do this. Whatever it is that he's called you to do. Because a servant was what he was, an apostle is what he did. And by the way, I think you'll get to see this as you read through the Trinity right here. A servant of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? Jesus was a servant. On the night before he died, he said, I'm going to show you how to do this, how to be a leader. And he got up and he gave a great speech. No, no, no. He took off his coat, he got on his knees, and he washed their feet because he was a servant, and he shows us how to be a servant of him. Now, Paul was a servant of Jesus. My prayer is that you are a servant of Jesus. That's what you are, but what you do, what Paul did was apostle. Now, I've always, I've, you know, we, we've, we've thrown around some titles for me here. I, you know, I don't really like the pastor thing. We, we tried out bishop for a while because that was, uh, in Haiti, actually the pastor down there called me that as a joke once. In fact, his exact words were, uh, the bishop needs to cut down on Big Macs. Um, <laughs> got that on video. For the record, we're recording this, right? Pastor Lafleur, he's had some Big Macs lately as well. If you guys been going a while, you've noticed. I've been mentoring him well. We might want to erase that. <laughs> Paul was an apostle. He was a sent one. That's what it means, sent one. We don't, I, I dare you to go find the word missionary in the Bible. And I've said before that it's probably because it's, in, it's intoned, in, is that, the right? that we're all to be, but there are specific ones that are sent ones. Paul was a missionary. And that's what he was called to do, to go. His passport had probably lots of stamps in it. Sure had a lot of scars. I mean, I'm assuming after the snake bit him, even though he didn't die, that'd probably leave a mark. You know what I'm saying? He had a lot of marks on his passport from his calling. And there are those of us here that are sent ones, that are missionaries, that are apostles. Here's the problem. You might think, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm just a carpenter. I'm just an accountant. I'm just Paul would as was a sent one, but you and I all have our callings that are not the same. We're all to be servants, but from that servanthood, we're all called to play a different role. And I assure you of this: that whatever he has called you to do, whether it's on the front lines in Haiti or whether it's on the, the supply line here in the States or wherever God has put you, called you to be, he needs all of us to be that. 
it isn't a less calling to be a teacher. When you approach a teacher as a servant of Jesus Christ, I'm coming at it from the, the posture of what is Jesus telling me to do today. And man, we need godly teachers in our world. Donna, you are a, a, a light in this place. Donna teaches uh, biology and was responsible for uh, all the uh, reproductive pictures last year of the kids that hung out. If you guys go to our website and see it. But she's a teacher in here. They don't teach you that in uh, I emailed a bunch of my church planner guys that taught me, and I showed them pictures when they did the, uh, the life-size replicas of the human anatomy last year. That was a treat. Um, Donna's a teacher here, and she's a light here, and as a servant of Jesus Christ, Donna the teacher is not less than David the missionary, who slept in a tent for six months this year, not including last year, taking the gospel to the MOBA people in Benchal, Africa. Because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. There is no greater lesser thing. There were all to be servants of Jesus Christ doing what he called us to do. And some of you might be in that moment, of, well, Darren, how do I even know what that is? What, what comes naturally for you? What comes supernaturally natural for you? I mean, Dr. Jana, when she is in treating patients, there's this thing that comes natural to her that not just as a, a doctor doing medical care, but then there's this thing as a servant of Jesus that she's serving people through the thing that she does in medicine. What, that came natural to her. What comes naturally to you in a supernatural way? And you might think, Darren, I, oh, there's some stuff that's coming, but man, I, it's like I am being prevented from this, kind of like Paul said, right? Genesis 26, you don't have to turn there. You can go there later. I would encourage you to. Isaac was going to dig some wells. He was on a journey. And the first place that he came, he dug a well. And it says that they came and they uh, resisted him. And that well he named Isaac, and he, he moved on. He dug. And if you've been around, I mean, David, you saw what it takes to dig a well, which is about 14 grand and a lot of machinery. They, they uh, drilled a well. There's a supernatural story behind that we'll share someday. But they didn't really have a drill. They had a shovel-ish. And he dug and he worked and he got down there. And then the, the people of the land came and kicked him off. And he named it Sitna, which meant hatred. I, I might have this out of order. It might have been Esek in the first one. He, but it meant hatred. And then he goes down the road and he digs another well and he digs and he digs. He finally gets water. And again, the inhabitants kick him off and he names it. I think that's the Sitna one. And it means like strife, frustration. And so he gets up and he moves again. And he finally comes to a place and he digs the well again. And the water is there again. And this time nobody comes to resist him and he calls it Rehoboth which it says because it means oh, finally a place for me and I find that to be the pattern of our lives that we dig and dig and we get resistance and it's contentiousness and strife and we dig some more but keep digging and keep moving and I promise you you will come to your Rehoboth ah oh, this is my the place for me that's what Isaac did. It's a, it's a truth for you that as you are growing, that when you, if you get resistance, 
you just keep digging and keep moving and keep, and you'll find it. And finding whatever that is that God has called you to do. If it is, I love this. We were in Africa. One of the young men that had been through the whole Bible in a study, I asked him, what do you, what do you want to do now? And he said, if, if, if God's, he actually said these words, there's no greater thing than to do the will of God. And if it is to swing a hammer, then I will do it to God's glory. If it is to preach, I will preach to God's glory. But I will do what his will is in my life. And I promise you that as you are moving along this journey that God has got you on, on the way to Rehoboth, where that's the place for you, that that calling that he has for you, following it, there's no greater thing than to do that. To play the guitar, awesome. Play it to his glory. To drive a truck, play it to his, drive it to his glory. You can play it too, I guess. Drive it to his glory. To be a servant of Jesus Christ, that's what he was. An apostle, a sent out one, that's what he did. Separated unto the gospel of God, that's who he was. I say that because he, John would say in chapter 1 that to whoever would believe, it was to them that he gave the power to become the sons of God. That's, I am Darren Tyler, I am the son of Clarence. It's okay, you can laugh. It's kind of, I mean, Clancy, this was his nickname. That, but that's me, that's my name, that's who I am. What I do is this, what I am is a servant of Jesus Christ, but who I am? Man, I'm the son of God. And when I learn that unto the gospel of God, the gospel, if you're a student of the word, that word in the Septuagint, oh, geez, I said that out loud. Hang on a second, guys. The Septuagint is, if, if you were alive in Jesus' day, you read Greek, okay? That was your language. But the Bible, the, uh, the Torah, the Old Testament, we would call it, was written in Greek, which didn't do you any good. If I show up with a, you know, with a Hebrew Bible, you'd be like, well, ew. But they translated it like we have ours translated into English. This was translated into Greek. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when the Israeli people, the Israelites who had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, were sent home, no strings attached, you're free. The word they used was evangelon, the word where we get our word gospel from, freedom. A word of caution for all of us is that sometimes we mistake this Bible as a book of good advice. In fact, if you go to uh, a Christian bookstore, do they still have those bookstores? But if you go to Amazon.com, you might think that the Bible is a, a book of good advice. Ten easy steps to this, 12 steps to that, five steps to this. The Bible isn't meant to be a book of good advice. It is good news. It isn't how to be free. It is you are free. You are already free. And anything to the contrary is a lie that you're believing. You're free. That's the good news. The evangelon, you're free. Go, do turn with me to this one. Go to the book of Luke. We're about to off-road for a second. He was separated unto the gospel of God, meaning that he was now made a son of God.
And in doing so, it's different now. Because you're a son of God. You're saying, well, I'm praying and I'm begging. And God, please show me your will. How many of you have done that one? I have. Please. Like he's hiding it from you. Like it's a game of hide and seek with the kids out in the yard. And they're like, Ethan, come on, man. Where are you? And you would read in this in Luke chapter, I think it's 11. Yep. When Jesus was teaching them to pray. And maybe you've read this before and maybe this is how you've prayed and perhaps some freedom can come to you this morning in the way that it did to me. It says, then he said, this is right after he shared the the Lord's prayer that we know so well. Suppose one of them, uh, one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. I've I've read that before, thought at midnight, this guy must have been a musician. He's up and assumes everybody else is too. And says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And then the one inside answers, don't bother me. I think it's King James for, are you kidding me? It's midnight. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, this is what he says, that though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend, yet because of the, man, because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, if you stop there, you might think that that's how we're supposed to pray. Just keep knocking. God, please, ring the doorbell again, like Ethan does, right? I'm upstairs in my room, and... You know, I might be, may or may not be in the bathroom. And he's, you know, he just keeps knocking. Because assuming that if I'm not answering, if he just keeps knocking, I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? And that's what it's saying. And I think that sometimes we get to that point in prayer and we're thinking, God, please, 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 Crying and wailing and praying and please, just because he says to keep knocking. But he's talking about a friend. That's not what you and I are. Where are the children in that parable. They're curled up with daddy in bed. My son knows, my daughters know, that there is a pantry in my house. They don't have to come knock on the door. And I assure you, they know this. They just go right in and get what's in there. I mean, you know, that's the relationship that we have with them. They're our kids. And that's why he would go on and say, what? Who of you who is a father know how to give good things to your, your earthly father? You know how to give good gifts to your kids. And if you ask me uh, for you know, an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Now, some of us might do that because it's kind of funny. But we wouldn't do it just because we're being spiteful and mean. He says, you know that. How much more would your heavenly father give unto you? Who John would say, chapter 1, verse 17, you and I are the sons of God. We're his kids. We're curled up in bed. Now, the truth is, is you might not have what you want right now. And if you don't, it's not because your daddy doesn't love you. It's because it ain't right for you for this time. And we have to trust our daddy. Hebrews 4 would talk about a rest, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And if you don't have that rest, it's probably because you've been striving so much to get something and daddy said, would you go to sleep already? This bed's cozy. Sleep. I got it under control. 
And you know how it is. I mean, if, if my kid doesn't get what he wants when he wants it or yours doesn't when she or that, they might not like it, but they, they will come around eventually. And the child knows or doesn't or should know, eventually will learn, daddy's got my best interests in mind. And so I can make this easy on myself or hard on myself, but that choice is up to me. We've talked about this before when we go on a long trip and we strap the kids into the car seat. Where else in our society can you tie a child up for 12 hours, right? And you strap them in in Haiti. We just like stick them up on top of the truck and hope, you know. Um, but we're, and, and when, the, when they're little, when they're real little, they don't know if this is a five-minute trip to the grocery store or if it's 12 hours to Minneapolis. It's all the surprise. And here's the thing. They can, they can kick back and enjoy the drama, man. I don't know who would do that. I've heard that people do that. I don't know. Or they can scream and holler. Either way, they're going where daddy's going. They're children you, you and I are the children of God. We're servants of him that obey what he's asked us to do. We do it from a position of that in his army. You're called to be what you're called to be. To work in media at a, at a television station. That's Dustin, a servant of Jesus Christ who works for News Channel 5. Who is separated under the good news that you're already good enough. You're already righteous. You can't do it any better. That's what Hebrews, the promise tells. We're going to learn that in Romans. I don't have to strive to do this thing. I'm just relaxing and I'm resting in him. And then because of that, I'm responding to, are you kidding me? That's awesome. I want to know more about that. And then you got a relationship. You don't have a deal. You don't have a contract. As we worship a little bit more. We didn't get out of verse 1, did we? As we worship a little bit more, this all right. Well, we'll get to verse three by next week. But no, we'll, hear me. I, I, I want to make sure that we, as a body of believers, have the freedom to know that we're servants of Jesus Christ, who's got our best interests in mind. We are apostles. We're teachers. We're construction workers. We're personal trainers. We're we're moms called to be a mom. Oh man. That's a great calling. And we're separated as who we are into being children of God. That's what Romans will tell us. We'll see it soon, trust me. But today, my hope is that if you are feeling in your soul that I am being resisted to keep digging and to keep digging and keep going and the Rehoboth will come on this journey that you're on. It's, a, it's not an interruption of your journey. It's just part of your journey to learn to trust the Lord. He's just called you to dig here today. We'll dig. He's got your best interest in mind. I don't see the big picture. Just keep digging. There are some that you know what your calling is, and you have been reluctant. Maybe you didn't feel like I'm good enough because I didn't go to seminary or I cuss too much or I have this too much and I don't feel worthy of it. But you are because you're separated unto God, the gospel, the good news, you're free. And you might be resisting what God has called you to do, whether it's in a career path or in going overseas or serving our little ones, our kids, or whatever God has called you to do, and you've been doing it because I don't feel good enough. You're a son and a daughter of Jesus or of God, and you are good enough. Jesus is your big brother.
let the Lord speak those things to you. It's not my job to speak to your heart and your mind. That's the Holy Spirit's job. If you've been resisting, I encourage you to quit it. You're going to Minneapolis anyway. You might as well. Some of you, hear me say this. You're not a servant of Jesus Christ called to do anything. You haven't been separated under the gospel because you haven't yet done what John said was all we had to do, which is just believe. You haven't believed that he came, that he, he died for you, that he resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the gospel is that, that he, Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures foretold. And you haven't yet taken that first step to follow Jesus. And my encouragement to you this morning is to do that. Because then you become a servant of Jesus Christ. You become separated under the gospel. And that calling that he has on your life will fulfill you in ways you could never imagine. I'm going to be right here. If, if you have never had that relationship with Jesus, you say, Darren, I really don't know if I have that. If I, uh, Jesus is, is in me, I've been separated. I just want to have that relationship with Jesus you've spoken of. I'll pray for you right here. No, but, you know, we'll worship, but you just come find me. I'm right here. I'd be happy to pray with you. You take that step to be separated unto the gospel. Not separated away from, but unto, like being picked in gym class by the cool kid. It's God say, I picked you for my team. Will you, will you come be on my team? Father, speak to us this morning. I know that you're drawing some of us into doing something beyond what we think we can do. You're drawing others of us into that relationship that you invite us into that says that we are just, we are righteous. Not because of how good we are, but because of how good you are. My prayer is that whatever might be resisting in our hearts would be broke down and that your word will pierce us this morning. It's in your name. It's in the name of Jesus, the nature of who you are that we pray. Amen.